Welcome to episode 20 of the Paul Norton podcast. Now, today's episode is a really, really special podcast. Today, I'm joined by Orla Flattery, who is all the way in Ireland. Now, Orla is a naturopath and a herbalist, and she's an expert in all things female when it comes to gut health and hormones. This was an absolutely belter of a conversation, and I came away from that phone call just baffled with the amount of knowledge that she knows about the female body and female hormones. This is going to be a fantastic episode for you to listen to. And as always, if you are in need of any help, just reach out to me or Orla. Hope you enjoy this podcast and take care. First of all, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, so I am Orla Flaherty. I'm a naturopath and herbalist. I'm based in Galway in Ireland. And I work predominantly with women and female health, uh, female health and wellness. I focus mainly on uh, the likes of PMS, gynecological condition, conditions like endometriosis, PCOS, fertility, and just helping to balance hormones for women. Hormone balancing is a... Um, a delicate <laughs> um, subject. Um, it's there when we're looking at hormones. We're looking at how how our bodies are really working. We are our hormones at the end of the day. Hormones are, ke- are chemical messengers that send messages throughout the body, telling us how to react, telling us how to respond. Be it your reproductive hormones, your stress hormones, your thyroid hormones, and it, it can be a bit of a balancing act. And for women specifically, because we go through our menstrual cycles every month, this starts from what what used to be would start in teenage years. It has dropped. It has become lower. The age of um, starting menstruation is now the average is anywhere between nine and 12 instead of 13 and 14. So we're going through our menstrual cycles from a very young age up until our mid fifties, depending on the person. So it's, it's a huge part of our lives as, as women. Um, and when it's, when your hormones are knocked off or when you're going through a lot of PMS or gynecological problems for that length of time, it can be quite impactful. What causes PMS? What is the, what causes what, PMS? What causes PMS? So when we're looking at our hormones, we're looking at your estrogen and progesterone. Um, there's a whole host of other hormones as well. So the likes of your luteinizing hormone, follicle stimulating hormone, then you have your stress hormones too. But predominantly with PMS, what I'm seeing uh, is an excess of estrogen. Now, I'm going to have to break it down a bit for you. Mm. So when it comes to estrogen and progesterone, it's like a weighing scale. It's like a balancing act. So if your estrogen is going up, your progesterone is automatically going down and vice versa. There's two ways that you can have excess estrogen, uh, either from environmental factors, from the foods that we're eating, um, the likes of xenoestrogens or phytoestrogens or the likes of endocrine disruptors that mimic your estrogen cells. Um, that can cause a buildup of excess estrogen in the system. Or else the other way of having excess estrogen is it's not so much that it's estrogen dominance, but it's more progesterone deficiency deficiency so progesterone is that very calm hormone it's it's going to make you feel good um it, it's a natural antidepressant but we create progesterone from ovulation so when we ovulate 
there's a structure left on the ovary known as the corpus luteum. And that's where the majority of our progesterone is met. For a lot of women, though, due to different factors, the likes of PCOS or hypothalamic amenorrhea or stress in general, again, that's going back to the hypothalamic function, that you're, if they're not ovulating, they're not creating the progesterone. Now, you will create a bit of progesterone in your ovaries and in your adrenal glands, but not to the extent of once you've ovulated. So ovulation is really key for reducing your PMS to make sure that you are, you are creating enough progesterone to balance, balance it out. Um, so PMS, when we're looking at PMS, we're looking at the swollen breasts, bloating, low mood, irritability. Um, a lot of women can experience what's known as PMDD, which is a, a, a much more severe form of PMS. But we're looking at excess estrogen. And so looking at how to help strip that excess estrogen out and, and balance the hormones again. So again, it's finding the root cause. Like I'm always saying that, like I have to follow the breadcrumbs. I have to find out what is the root cause. Is it Eastern dominance or is it progesterone deficiency? And then once we can decipher that, then we'll know what way to go with the likes of food and herbs and everything. And how would you go about then with food and herbs? Like I had a client last week who actually, she had suffered really bad PMS last week. So what do you generally look for when you're going to give different foods or herbs? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. So when I'm working with everyone, like everybody's body is different to everybody's constitution is different. So it's, it's very much like as a naturopath, I'm not treating a condition. I'm treating the person. It, it's a very holistic approach, mm. but predominantly with PMS, I'm looking at their food choices. So is someone having your typical Western diet that's full of processed foods, processed sugars, um, a lot of wheat and dairy consumption. Now, I'm not going to be giving out about wheat and dairy all the time, but wheat and dairy are actual endocrine disruptors if they're not organic um, or crops, like our grains or wheat. It, they're sprayed quite heavily with um, herbicides and pesticides, which are your endocrine disruptors. And they contain xenoestrogens. So I'm trying to, I'll never tell someone to give up any food group, but what I will ask them to do is to start incorporating more, more vegetables, more root vegetables specifically, because root vegetables are going to help strip out excess, excess estrogen as well as extra excess cortisol, which is your stress hormone. When we're looking at the body, it's the liver that is going to metabolize excess hormones, but then it's our bowels that's going to eliminate them. So we're literally, we're pooping out excess hormones. So you need to be eating enough fiber. So making sure that you are adding in a good portion of root veggies every day. And then the likes of your greens, because your, your green veg is what's going to support your liver function. And again, going back to because it's your liver that is metabolizing excess hormones and then the bowel to excrete them. So look, looking at the likes of what foods are going to be beneficial for you, what's going to support you as a person. And what foods would you say wouldn't be so good then for PMS? Um, so looking again with the PMS, if it is because of Eastern dominance, we're looking at reducing out any foods that are phytoestrogenic. So the likes of soy. So soy products, like if you can get them organic and non-GMO and you don't have any estrogenic conditions, the likes of endometriosis, fibroid cysts, anything like that, 
then you have your soy in moderation, but make sure it's organic, non-GMO. But because soy is a phytoestrogenic food, it contains phytoestrogen. So what's happening is that the, the molecular makeup of the soy, the phytoestrogen is coming into the estrogen receptor cell and it's latching on like a lock and key syndrome. And then you're having your own natural estrogen that's been produced in the system and that doesn't have anywhere to go because the phytoestrogen has latched on. So making sure to just really moderate how much phytoestrogenic foods that you're having. But in saying that, so that's for PMS, but then there's other women who have, who have low estrogen. So the likes of menopausal women mm. going into the phytoestrogenic foods are actually beneficial for you. So like, I'm not saying that soy is completely bad, but for depending on the person and what it is, that's going to help. So yeah, reduce not the likes of your soy. And again, your dairy, if your dairy isn't fully organic, unfortunately cows are given a lot of growth hormones and a lot of antibiotics. Again, these are endocrine disruptors and those excess hormones you're getting, you are ingesting them and they're going into the system. So it's just being mindful of the amount of dairy and and non-organic produce that you are having. And does glucose make, so does glucose make any difference from PMS? Like it doesn't have any effect of PMS glucose in like carbs and stuff? No, not, not really. Like again, depending on what the carb source is, like Mm. when you're looking at your, your carbs from your root veggies, like no, if anything, it's going to be those carbs are more beneficial, so they are. But the glucose, no. It's um, unless you are somewhat insulin resistant, you have any sort of pre-diabetic, diabetic conditions. Then, it, when it comes to PMS, it wouldn't be a huge thing. Just, it's just not as we we're saying before. It's probably it's a, it's area that's not really spoke about enough. Is because all my clients mostly are females, and it's crazy. Even when I talk to even when I talk to young females, though eighteen, nineteen, like there's no one still really understands about how their body works it's not as simple as mm. it's not as simple as like you know you take a male his body does it's, it's the same every week so he just can go to the gym lift weights eat protein and you know he'll always have the same structure as a female like every single yeah. week going to be so much different i think it's hard for for, for when i train my clients i kind of train them two weeks of the month so for the first you know two weeks is when we're trying to if we can train the best and diet the best and for two weeks then we're just kind of looking for maintenance phase yeah so yeah when when you're looking at your menstrual cycle like it's it, it there's four phases to it so starting off you start with menstruation that's day one of your cycle most not most women it depends on the woman but typically your your period will last three to seven days could be longer for some could be shorter for others it all depends but so the first phase of your cycle is your menstrual phase that's during your bleed the next phase is your follicular phase, which does technically start off with the menstrual cycle as well, but it's, that would be your early follicular stage. Yeah. During, this, during these two phases, this is when your estrogen levels start to rise and also your testosterone levels. And this is when you're feeling great and you can get as much training done and your strength goes up and you're functioning at kind of your, your optimum capacity. Then you're hitting ovulation. And once you have ovulated, you're going to get that surge in progesterone. So your estrogen is just going to come down 
a bit slight is going to come down slightly and the progesterone is going to rise again like i was saying about that weighing scales analogy and once you have ovulated and that surge in progesterone hits it does make the uh your your ligaments and tendons that little bit more vulnerable so you do need to be mindful of the likes of your strength training mm. just around ovulation like just post ovulation i'd be going more kind of volume instead of strength just post ovulation for for those few days and then as you're going further into after sorry after your ovulate your ovulation then you're going into what's known as your luteal phase so this is the the time when your body is preparing for pregnancy and um, that's if you have conceived um but again your progesterone levels are going to keep rising up um, so being mindful with the amount of progesterone in the system, just looking at the volume versus volume versus strength. So what is the difference then in around when your progesterone is at the highest point compared to when it goes down? What's the difference? What happens to the body from when it's at the, the point of progesterone in the highest when it drops down? So when it reaches its peak, is it? Yeah. So your your progesterone will reach its peak uh, right before your right before your period starts again, and then once your period does start, the progesterone will drop down. Your estrogen will also you'll get a drop in both estrogen and progesterone once your period starts, but then you'll start back with that the the hormone secretion again. So starting off again with the estrogen starting to rise. What would be your biggest advice then for, obviously, for good types of food for the first follicular phase and nuclear phase? What do you normally yeah. recommend? So when we're looking at the different phases, when you start menstruation, you need to start having more carbs. So again, more root veggies. Um, that's between your menstruation phase and your follicular phase is keeping the carbs quite high. Then when you're heading into your post-ovulation luteal phase, we actually need a lot more fats because we need fat and, and protein too, but fats are essential for hormone production and function and making sure that you are increasing your healthy fats, the likes of your, your avocados, your coconut oil, your like eggs are a great source of fat and protein together mm -hmm. and your nuts, your seeds, depending on what it is that you can tolerate some people are allergic to nuts so then you'll have to be going for your seeds but i know when we're looking at um the likes of training it's very much you know looking at calories and everything and being mindful that the that your healthy fats are higher in calories but at the same time they're so essential like they're they're known as essential fatty acids because our bodies can't make them we have to consume them um the low fat yeah, the, the low fat, no fat diets, they, they, they really kind of bug me because looking at all this low fat, no fat, our hormones aren't, aren't producing properly. And again, like I said earlier, we are our hormones, our hormones are what control us. So just keep the fats in, please. What do you, do you recommend like one gram per kg of body weight roughly for what's your doses for fats? In it? I get, uh, and <laughs> Sorry, but again, this is actually really person dependent because it depends on what's yes. going on for them. Yeah. So like I, I could have um, two women coming in with the, the same issue, but one will actually need more fat depending on cognitive function, depending on their emotional mental state. Is there something going on with the nervous system? Is there something going on um, with, the, with the neurological pathways? What I find is like with women who, who would have like a foggy brain, um, kind of a lot of lethargy, 
um, I'd be looking more at, okay, do we need to increase the fats here? Um, so yeah, it, it is very person dependent on that. It's good on that. Even, even you were mentioning calories, I think calories I've noticed nowadays is that like, everyone at every crossroad is, is shouting calories and yeah, calories is it, you know, it's the baseline, but I think there's a lot more to just say for me is like health and fitness than, than calories. I think a lot of people get so caught up in the calories and I've got some, a lot, not a lot, but I've got two or three clients who have had previous trainers who've actually lost their cycle because the calories was, you know, was so low. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what you're looking at there is hypothalamic amenorrhea when your calories are so low and your, and your body fat drops way down that is what we're looking at is hypothalamic amenorrhea and it can take a long time to get that back. I have a, a few women who it took maybe two, three years to get the hypothalamus functioning again. Cause when we're looking at our hormones, we're looking at what's known as the HPA and the HPG axis. Um, so that's your hypothalamic pituitary and adrenal gland axis, and then your hypothalamic pituitary and gonadal axis. So the HPA is your stress hormone response. So we're looking at, cortisol, adrenaline, noradrenaline, then the HPG is your sex hormone response. So your estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, LHFSH. When we're, when our bodies are going through a lot of stress, um, be it physical or emotional, um, you're, you're running into kind of overdriving your HPA axis. What happens then is that it's your hypothalamic function then is, is starting to decrease or well, it's gone into overdrive but it's switching off the HPG side of things. So the sex hormone secretion and with hypothalamic amenorrhea, predominantly it, it is caused through stress. Now, when I say stress, it doesn't have to be emotional stress, it physical stress on the body and lack of calories as well. That's going to put a physical stress on the system. So it, it's really looking at nourishing the adrenal glands again, trying to support the adrenal glands, trying to support the nervous system, as well as open calories um, to, to try and balance out the, the HPA and HPG axis. It's definitely something that's, um, it's getting like, it's getting more and more common. Like the more females I speak to every day, like it's, it's, it just seems to be a, a regular thing. It gets, it's mm-hmm. such a regular occurrence. And I'm just not sure whether, again, it's probably down to lack of education around that. Like, again, not many people know about, you know, if a fish or females are strict calories too low, that kind yeah. of stuff happens. It's bonkers. Yeah. But it's like re- restricting your calories, but also like excessive exercise when you're looking. Now I know some people can say it's kind of hard to overtrain. If it's more that you're under recovering. Well, again, like low calorie intake is under recovering. Mm. Um, but then looking at the stress of too much exercise, too much vigorous exercise. If you're someone who has gone into a hyper, gone into hypothalamic amenorrhea it's a sign that your cortisol levels are too high in the system so you really need to be lowering them whereas like cortisol like in acute doses it is good for us it helps to boost the immune system and everything but in chronic high cortisol levels doing vigorous exercise is just going to aggravate that so going for a 10-15k run for someone who has hypothalamic amenorrhea it's not helping the body to deal with that stress better. So looking at more, instead of the likes of HIT, looking more a bit uh, of LIS really. So the low intensity steady state cardio. So you're, you're walking, you're swimming, you're cycling at gentle pace is something that's not going to push you over the edge. 
Good point. And again, again, not not a lot of people um, understand that as well. Like that, working out is a stress too, and sometimes like you're better off just to rest up late for a few days. And like I've often had just weeks just not doing much, much and you come back a better person because you're always battering your body. It's just so hard for it to come back, isn't it? To come back. Well, it is, but because you're you're putting your body into that stress response of the the cortisol and adrenaline. And again, yes, cortisol is good in acute stages, but if you're in chronic state of stress physically and then looking at the world around us right now, you know, we're in a global pandemic, there is, yes. there is an undertone of stress for everyone, even though they may be saying, oh, I'm fine, I'm grand, I'm, I'm coping well, you know, it's the new normal. We're still all in a state of uncertainty because we're still waiting to hear, right, when's the lockdown going to lift, when our restrictions going to ease. We don't know where we are. So the logical mind gets it like we can rationalize it and we can logicalize it but the emotional body is completely separate it's still having the the stress response it's still pumping out that cortisol so then you're adding in your emotional stress even if you think you're okay it's all kind of still happening in underneath uh, so you're adding that in on top of the um of the physical stress of, of heavy exercising now don't get me wrong love exercise it's my therapy myself and I would find it very hard to give it up. But, and I did before in the past uh, to, to stop training so vigorously and pull it back and try out different things. So the likes of yoga and Pilates and yes, I still kept weight training in because I, I absolutely loved it, but I stopped the intensity of my training. I just brought it back a bit just to give my body a break. It can be hard in the beginning, but it's once you can find another outlet, the likes of walking, like for me, I do sea swimming. And I find that so beneficial for grounding and as well for lowering my, my own cortisol levels. Um, so your sea swims and like yoga and deep breathing exercises, it's, it's trying to find different ways of incorporating more calming, grounding exercises in as well. Yeah, I've just started doing meditation as well the last couple of weeks. Or it's crazy how like just, you know, 10 minutes a day can just, change your mind isn't it mm. oh it's amazing like i i love meditation i i'm not good at it because i'm like my i find it so hard to switch my brain off yeah. so that that's why i'll do the likes of yoga instead i call yoga my movement meditation because i have to concentrate so much mm. on my breath work and getting into a pose that for me the yoga works better but yeah it's um just incorporating those little things even for five minutes a day like what I tell people in the morning is if you can set up a good morning routine, that's going to set you up for the day. And a, a morning routine doesn't have to be two, three hours of something. It can just be adding one five minute deep breathing exercise in yeah. or one five minute yoga session in, or just not looking at your phone first thing in the morning, keeping your phone knocked off until you're ready to start your day. And you give yourself that time to come into the day. That's the biggest thing is phones. Like, uh, like everyone just wants to get a dopamine hit straight away. And it's just, you know, I'm really big on my all my clients. Even me is that try to get that dopamine hit for something else. Like go for a walk or do something else. Or for me, like I like I like having a cold shower. And it's again, mm. there's so much ranting on the internet about it now, but I just like doing it. And just for me, like that's my dopamine hit in the morning. Rather than looking my phone first thing, it's like have a cold shower and it gives you that, that. You know, it's like my morning swim. Yeah, I think I think that's that people like are so get caught up on the phones now and screen time is probably at an all-time high isn't it what's the oh, effect completely why is the effects of like high screen time and all that stuff to the body uh well like like you said it's 
it's that dopamine hit. So our phones, they're actually, they become very addictive. Mm. And the reason for that is because you're getting that dopamine hit of the like and the, the, the like and the comment and, and all that. But it, then as well, we're looking at the science behind, you know, when like you re, you refresh your screen and you get a new thing coming in. Yeah. Again, it's that dopamine, oxytocin, cortisol, adrenaline. It's keeping you up. It's keeping you high. And that's why it's, why it becomes so addictive. Um, like it's, there's a chemical response in the system with, when we're looking at any addictive substances, be it um, alcohol, drugs, or your phone, shopping, sex, whatever it is, like anything can become addictive if you're getting that, that dopamine and then that all, the dopamine, cortisol, and oxytocin hit all kind of being juggled around in one. Um, the, the drawback to it is the likes of cognitive function um you're you're lowering your cognitive function again you're looking at that foggy brain um you're the blue rays you know there it's disrupting sleep it's but as well mentally and emotionally i find with social media like look social media is great it, it's helped us to connect right now you yeah. know we're, we're able to sit down and have this chat because of social media but at the same time there's there's the that comparison syndrome that's out there with social media. There's such and such down the road is doing this. Why I should be doing that. And, oh, look at the life they're, they're living. Why isn't my life like that? When we're looking at social media, it's the highlight reel, highlight reel of people's mm. lives. And like even for me with my social media, my social media is predominantly my work. I very rarely put up personal stuff. I'll put up a small bit of personal stuff, but I'm also like, I, I want to keep some of my life for me yeah. and I then that makes me realize as well that what I'm seeing out there is not everyone's you know perfect life it's literally just the highlight reel and it can become very detrimental to to people's self-worth and their own self-image so what I find what I do is a couple times a year is I'll take two weeks off social media and even though predominantly my work is on social media I will still take those two weeks off um I'll delete the apps from my phone and I'll just take a complete break and a complete breather from it and I always do come back feeling so much more refreshed um and just with a clearer head and I think if you if it's something you can do 100% give yourself a two-week break from social media I have uh, my friends at the moment for Lent not that we're actually my two friends they're German they I don't even know if they know what Lent is, but one of our other friends has made them give up social media for Lent and they would have been on social media a lot. And now they're like, oh my God, my life is so different. I'm really living in the moment. I'm really living in, in the present. And when I'm taking pictures, it's not made to make them look pretty for the gram. It's, it's we're taking pictures just for us. And I'm like, I know, isn't it lovely? Like it, it's really nice to just take that step away so they're going strong. I think they're three. How long has Lent been on for now? I don't know whether they think they're three weeks in or something like that. Yeah. Gee, that's, yeah. that's crazy, isn't it? But yeah, yeah, like I think social media has brought on a lot of, um, it's brought on so much like body image issues too, because mm. I remember being in Bondi when I first came here and like couldn't believe I was walking down towards the beach and there was two influencers and like they were getting their photos took. But like the, the female was getting like her, um stretch marks like makeup on him and the mm -hmm. guy was the guy was getting his cellulite and his stretch marks painted on him too and yeah. like just making up 
just making the body like feel unrealistic and that's hard because like I have I've often chatted to girls that are like 18 19 and like their whole thing is like just body issues that why can't they look like a certain girl on social media and yeah. have I've had guys the same well, why can't I have a big six pack or, or this kind of stuff mm-hmm. and it's just it just seems to be getting so much more vicious isn't it it is and like that's always been there it, it's always been there with the likes of your beauty magazines so we've always had it it's just now because social media is so prevalent like it's a part of everyone's lives practically that we're seeing it more and and again it is that comparison syndrome it's like why can't i look like that why can't i um have the six-pack why can't i have to have the big bum or whatever or like why do i have to have cellulite everyone has said it like 90 percent of women mm. have cellulite the 10 percent who don't have cellulite it's it's genetic and they're they're literally just one of the lucky ones um, and it's the same when we're looking at six packs in men, it's like a lot of the time it's genetic where you're going to store your fat, where you're mm-hmm. going to be able to, to drop that. I know for me personally, I store any say stubborn body fat on my tummy. So like I'll never fully, I have had, um, visible abs in the past, but it took a lot of work to get there. And now physical work in the gym, that's fine. But diet wise, I had to cut my calories way down. I did a full strip. And it was torture. It was absolute torture. I ended up becoming so exhausted. The, my partner at the time, we, we were just fighting all the time. I, I had no sex drive. I was just tired, didn't want to talk. And I was like, is that really worth it? I was like, is having all these arguments in my relationship worth having a six pack? And I'm like, no, it's not. So I had to look at the bigger picture of, what was what was more important to me having a six-pack or having a healthy relationship you know um and then bringing it back what i always say to people is just bring it back to yourself you have to bring it back to your own self-worth if we're looking externally at someone else it's because we're lacking something within so really following the breadcrumbs there sit down do a journal find out what it is that you feel like you're lacking in where's this coming from your, your self-worth and, and working on your self-worth and really building yourself up like we have to show ourselves love and compassion before we can be look out externally at everyone else and be like oh my god they're amazing it's like yeah look they may be amazing but you're amazing too so yes. give yourself that little bit of love you know let yourself feel feel good about yourself because you are the only you in this world there's nobody else but you you know so trying like my I get I've I got my clients and even me like every every night like I try to get them to you know three daily wins and try like mm-hmm. always to that because that's the biggest thing is like if you can acknowledge like three daily wins of and it could be as small as just saying hello to someone down the road or feeling yeah. good then everything else it just flows out and I'm really big as well of my clients is and and everyone is just like like always try see the positive so whatever happens like is always like if I get hit by a car in the morning like I can. I can, you know, be miserable or I can look at the positives. Well, if I break my two mm-hmm. legs, well, it means that, you know, I can probably do more study or I can do more meditation. And then if I can get my clients to think like that, then they're always going to win. And I think a lot of people, so much people are always focused what they can't do and can't have. Like mm-hmm. during lockdown, you know, I can't have pubs. We can't go here. We can't do this. But no one really focuses on what to do have. Like they've got a family, they've got friends that can go for walks. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so big is that people... We all need to kind of go back a small bit and look at 
just look at the basics in life, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, completely. Look at the things that we do have. And like I was the same, like the first lockdown, gym's closed. Again, gym is my therapy. Lifting weights mm. is my therapy. And I haven't been able to do it properly in the last year. I, I think I got four months in between July. Was it July when they op- yeah, it was July when they opened up again. So I had from July to December and that was great. But now we're back, no gyms again. And so I reverted back to, okay, what did I do in the first lockdown? I started my sea swimming. I mm. started going for walks with people and spending time, quality time with good people in my life. And the benefits of that was huge. Something I started doing um, about a year and a half ago was uh, I did a 66 days gratitude list. So it takes 66 days to form any, any habit. And so every day for six, for 66 days, I would write out five things of what I was grateful for that day. And like what you said, if it was just saying hello, some stranger saying hello to me on the street, or I remember one day seeing uh, an elderly woman walking down the road and she had the biggest grin on her face and that made me smile but at the end of the day I had to really sit down and take stock of okay what were the good things there were some days that it was hard to to get yes. those good things but when you really think about it it's like okay no there was good in today today may not have been a great day it mm-hmm. may have been a shit day but there was still good in the shit so it, it is trying to look at that and and try and find it but sometimes we have to look for it and we have to find it that's so good so important I, like the same as me sometimes I'd find it hard to find the wins but you just have to sit down every night and, and do it and even the morning time I've got mm. my habits in the morning as I'll do my journal of what I want to do today and I'll also a big one for me is like when I wake up in the morning I will try pin, pinpoint like what could stress me out today and then mm-hmm. I, then I'd write down like well how can I deal with that stress because I think that's big as well is that everyone looks at stress in kind of a bad way we're all going to get stressed mm-hmm. but it's how we perceive that stress stress can be mm-hmm. the best thing we all that we're all going to get stressed but if you mm-hmm. could perceive a stressful situation in your favor like i i don't really like last year when i got stuck in australia i was in the airport only had a backpack and had two choices like i either get stressed out or just just do what's in front of me mm-hmm. and because yeah. of that because of that here i am now like and i never really get stressed because for me, I always try to find that way of, of dealing with it. Not dealing with it, but always trying to find the benefit of the stress. And then you're never going to get stressed, really. Mm. So it, it's really like looking at when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Yes. Or buy a bottle of tequila, one or the other. <laughs> and like, uh, But that's it. It's For me, now this may come across quite woo-woo. A friend of mine says I'm very woo-woo. Um, but when I look at things in life, I look at things can either happen to you or they can happen for you. Yes. So the way I see it is this is happening for me for a reason and I'm going to get a greater understanding of what's going on for me internally. I'm going to get a lesson from this. I'm going to get growth from it. Like when we're looking, look, look at the caterpillar and butterfly analogy. Like, you know, it, that, it's not a beautiful process. It's an ugly, messy, you're breaking out of a shell. Sometimes we have to go into the dark places. We have to go into the shadow and we have to feel like crap. Like to, to know true happiness, you have to know the true sadness. And then it's, it's taking the lessons from it. So for me, what I say that anything that's ever happened to me in my life, it has happened for me because I've learned so much about myself and I've been able to bring it forward into the, the next part of my journey. That's so true. I read a book by um, a girl called uh, Byron Katie, What Loving Is. 
And that's yeah. probably that's probably the best book I've read. It was like it was just it just makes you see everything in a whole different sense. And I read that it took a long it took me a long time to read it because it wasn't my normal book to read. But mm-hmm. since I read that book, you just see things differently. And because mm-hmm. of that, because of that, then just every situation, you can always see a different way of dealing with it. Mm, yeah, I love Byron Katie. She's amazing. Um, yeah. But the, but that's it. It's like it's how you perceive things. It's how you're going to look at things. Is this going to be another shit thing, or is it going to be look? It's shit. I can deal. I'm going to get something from it, and I'm going to move forward with it. And then you've got an extra tool in your back pocket. Like you, you've learned something. You've experienced something, and now you can have empathy towards someone else who's going through a similar process that's how i look at it anyway for me yeah and that's the same as me like if i can get my any even anyone my client especially to to view things like that then it means they're going to be a lot more better with their nutrition and their training but for me like it, it's it probably comes back to education i wish there was probably a bit more of this stuff like self-development stuff at younger age because yeah you know if i was a bit you know younger and can know how to deal with your emotion in a different way it's amazing like it's amazing like once someone tells you shows you what way you can deal with your emotions how things just they just line up yeah oh yeah if if i wish they'd bring that in as a module in in primary yes. school, in secondary schools in primary schools because our developmental years are from zero to seven this is when we develop our personalities so when we're kids learning how to actually manage our emotions and feel our emotions because predominantly in Ireland anyway it's um we don't we're not taught at a young age how to process the negative emotions we know what happy and sad is we know what it feels like when we're laughing and that feels good but for young kids they they don't even have the language around what's wrong with them so if you see a child who is say having a temper tantrum um really yeah what we do in our families we're looking i have two nieces um two amazing little girls but when they're getting angry or they're off they're upset i'm like okay i'm going to sit with you here and literally i sit down with them and i'm like can you talk to me can you use your words and they'll just be like no no and they're they're crying they're upset and instead of telling them to to be good or to, to stop crying or whatever. Cause that's how like our generation was always stop crying, stop, yes. stop, stop being angry. You're not allowed to do this. Da, 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 da. Sit with the child and let them see what it actually feels like to feel anger and to feel sadness and to feel disappointment. You, we're, we're not sheltering them from the emotion. We're actually just letting them feel it and then explaining yeah. to them, okay, that's anger you weren't allowed to watch an extra episode of TV. You got angry. You were allowed to get angry. You're still not getting the episode. You're allowed to be disappointed, but you're also allowed to feel these things. And I think teaching them in in those developmental years from zero to seven is so important for them going on for for their adult lives because we're teaching them at a young age that it's okay to feel your emotions because so many of us have had to suppress so many different emotions over the years because it was wrong to feel them or we weren't allowed to feel them. So starting them at a young age, I don't know how we've gotten over to this topic, but I could talk <laughs> on this for hours. I um, I studied psychotherapy for a couple of years and I'm, I'm fascinated by uh, human behavior. So I, I, I tend to go off on rants. So sorry. Oh, it's, <laughs> well, it's a big passion of mine because like, although like I'm, you know, I like this time last year, two years ago, I was on the gym floor and like in the last year I've, I've come to where I am now. But the biggest thing for me is that 
like I d- generally have females at fat loss and weight loss, but this last year, like I've, I've my whole business is kind of not changed, but I want to kind of view fitness as, you know, these six pillars, which have, you know, improving confidence and motivation, self-worth, improving sleep, stress, and sex. And I think for me, if I can tie all them in and help somebody improve them areas, then weight loss and fat loss would be the byproduct. I think, mm. at, I think at the moment there's too much emphasis on fat loss and weight loss and calories in and calories out and looking this way and doing this. Whereas if we do the basics, right? Like we're just like having these, these conversations about like motions and, and stress and all that stuff. They're so, they're mm-hmm. so important. They're basic life skills. Like yeah. there's no point, as you said, there's no point having a six pack. Um, if you're feeling miserable, like if you're stressed yeah. out, your sex life is down. It's just, it's just crazy. And yeah. I've got some friends back home who listen to this and they'll probably laugh at, you know, you know, me talking about emotions. But I think, again, going off topic, it's that whole social dilemma is that, you know, a boy can't talk about emotions and mm. fight, all this vice versa. Yeah. It's just that social dilemma, isn't it? Everything is, yeah. you have then, to do this. And... Yeah, it's like you're being, you're put, being put into a box as a man that you're to, like that age old saying, man up. I yes. hate that saying. When you look at the suicide rates in males in Ireland, it, it's phenomenal. It's through mm. the roof, and it's because you're told from a young age, "Man up, don't cry, boys, don't cry, don't mm. be a little girl, don't be a wuss." And I'm like, "Can we please change the narrative?" Yes, we ex- we expect our our men uh, of our society to be strong men and not have big emotions. It's just like, no, everybody can have these big emotions. Instead of telling them not to feel them, let them feel them. Let's talk openly about them. In my eyes, it's actually, you're a, and I don't, mm, it's not that you're a bigger man because there's no such thing as a bigger man, mm-hmm. but you're, you have more courage and you have more bravery if you can speak about your emotions and if you can have that open dialogue around it. it and it, ta- it takes courage to really, open up and let yourself be vulnerable and talk about your emotions because feeling vulnerable is it's a very uncomfortable feeling we don't mm. like to feel vulnerable and and that's a self-protective mode but by letting yourself feel these things as a man and teaching our younger boys that it's okay to feel them and that they're not being little wusses that do you know what you're actually being brave you're being very brave for letting yourself feel this and for crying and for talking to me I think that's the story we need to be saying. Definitely. It, 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 hopefully in years to come, it'll be a whole, it'll be a shift. But then it's the whole spectrum of you have that end of it and you have the other end of it. Then when it comes to females and fat loss, again, there's a lot of, a lot of the studies in any weight loss and fat loss seems to be done in males, whereas there's not really much done in females. And to me, in my opinion, it should be the other around because females are far more complex with their bodies that there should be a lot more studies done mm. on that. And I guess getting back on what we're saying about sex drive, because that's something you mentioned before. What, mm. how big, in your opinion, is sex drive when it comes to any health and fitness? Because to me, it's 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 probably one of the biggest things that you can. Huge. Yeah. It's so important that your sex drive is one of the first indicators for you that something is off. If you've lost your libido, okay, what's going on in the body? Something has switched off somewhere. Um, when it comes to libido having a good sex drive for women, we need to have optimum estrogen and testosterone levels. Um, 
but as well for women it's excess stress it's that hormone cortisol if that's it there in, in if you have chronic high cortisol that's going to lower your sex drive this is an evolutionary process going back to famines wars plagues pandemics um that when we're stressed our cortisol level is going to go through the roof and that's going to switch off your ovulatory process because evolutionary wise it's not safe to be pregnant the risk far outweighs the benefits of being pregnant like you may not be able to um like this is going back prehistoric times and like you you may not be able to to care for a child to to carry a child to carry a, a safe pregnancy and so the body will automatically switch off the, so the first thing that's happening there is that your sex drive is going because you don't want it like when we're looking at our sex drives as women our sex drives between the, it ramps up right before ovulation that's a key sign okay an egg is coming it's going to be released i need to be fertilized come on over and it's, and it's all down to chemicals and pheromones with the, picking the right partner as well but when your sex drive switches off it's a key sign something is off somewhere, be it your cortisol, be it your testosterone, be it your estrogen. So keeping an eye on it is so important because as well for women who are trying to conceive, if you have no sex drive, okay, what's that telling you? Um, you want to have a baby yet you have no sex drive. Your stress levels are way too high. We need to look at that. We need to lower your, your cortisol levels. We need to balance out your estrogen and your testosterone. But as well, forget about procreation. Like, sex is there for enjoyment too and mm. it's there for connection for intimate connection between two partners having to it's, it's, a, part, it's a huge part of life so it is it's a, and it's a huge huge part of connection so if that's been switched off what are you lacking with your partner then as well and having to look at the deeper stuff there too but yeah, what I always say is always keep an eye on your, your sleep, your energy and your sex drive when going through the likes of a fat loss journey and all that, because they're going to be your key signs. Like I said before, it was me. It was like, it was picking, what do I want a six pack or do I want to have a healthy relationship with, with a good sex life? Do you know? And it was, it, it was a no brainer once I brought it back to basics and thought about it. I was like, yeah, no, I can live without the six pack. I was like, yes. I, I, I want this instead. And so the other spectrum is too, then if you have someone that's overweight and, you know, not confident on skin, then mm. sex drive, then the proves too, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a huge thing because we, we need to feel secure within our own skin. We need to feel secure within our own bodies. And if we don't feel good about ourselves, we're not going to want to have sex. So like, and look, I get that. Um, even now with like with lockdown and not being in the gym consistently like a couple of weeks ago, I was like, I, I heard myself saying, I don't look good when I mm. looked in the mirror, I got out of the shower and then I was like, no, I need to change that. It's not that I don't look good. It's that I don't feel good. So mm. it, it's, it's bringing it back to, it's not about how I look. That's not my, where my worth lies. My worth lies with how I feel. Um, my body is, my body it's not who i am it's just part of me um and knowing that my self-worth lies in other areas like my my work my my friendships my my passions in life it's not just my body but we can get caught up in that and especially with when you are overweight it becomes a, a vicious circle running through your head it's 
I'm overweight, I want to lose weight. Then there's this whole self-guilt, shame cycle that you end up going on and then you end up overeating again and binge eating and, and everything. So it, it can become a bit of a vicious cycle. I've been Oof. there. Yeah, wait, well, I was, I think like last year, I was about 26 kg heavier than I am now. Like I was fairly overweight in New Zealand and like everything for me just went, I was 100 and I'm 80 kg now and I was 106 last year. So like mm-hmm. I was quite overweight and for me, like everything just, you know, your sex drive just went just down, down, down and mm-hmm. just everything. But what I've learned from like now and then is how I use my language. You know, like it's mm-hmm. so important, like, you know, rather than saying like I am, I am overweight. You could look at it as like, uh, I am grateful to be able to have the opportunity to lose weight. And that's mm-hmm. really big on my clients is trying to just change how they use their language. And to even everyone, like if you can change, refer to use your language towards yourself, then it just perceives everything in a so much better light. Yeah. Yeah. And, but you're, you're seeing things in, um, in a truer way as well. Like, like what you said, this has given me an opportunity to, to lose weight. It's given me an opportunity to move more. It's given me an opportunity yes. to, to better myself in another area. It, it does. It completely changes how you're perceiving yourself then. Okay. Just, just, just something that's not talked about enough. And I guess then going back on, on track again, if we look at, if we look at something else, not really spoke about enough is probably PCOS. And that's something that you mentioned mm. as well, that you are big on as well. Yeah. Yeah, and then like with PCOS for like PCOS is quite um, it's quite a complex condition. But there's there's four different types of PCOS. But the the main type, your insulin resistance PCOS, what we're looking at is it is being overweight. Um, you tend to hang on to to excess weight with PCOS. So, um, for a lot of women, that's kind of their main focus is I want to lose weight, but I have PCOS. Um, so then we're looking at the, the insulin resistance and we have to look at how we can help manage those hormones. Um, but again, there is the four types of PCOS where so you have your insulin resistant PCOS, you have post pill PCOS, uh, you have your uh, adrenal PCOS and you have your, oh, it's gone from my head. <laughs> um, uh, your adrenal yeah your adrenal pcos it's like your chronic fatigue pcos um but it's no oh yeah and there's different types within that as well where not every woman is going to have what's known as the the pearl ring of cysts around the ovaries so again it's looking at is it excess androgens is it which are testosterone um male hormones that's kind of the predominant uh issue with pcos is excess androgens and uh, very low progesterone as well so trying to you have to figure out which one is it that you have before you can start a treatment not before you can start a treatment protocol but like i said for me it's always about finding the root cause get to the root of a of a condition and then you can build on a treatment plan after that and when it comes to then just say generally for someone with peace resistance resistance what's the best way mm-hmm. to just say just say they are doing lose some weight and fat obviously mm-hmm. what would be in your advice yeah, but yeah, well, again, diet and again, everybody's body is different. I'm looking at the person, the constitution, mm. but predominantly looking at um, looking at the diet, trying to reduce out as much processed inflammatory foods as you possibly can because inflammation 
is is going to have a detrimental effect on on your gut health and then when your gut health is is thrown off then again your androgens are are, are going to be rising um looking at again the likes of all your root veggies like your your root veggies and your greens you got to make sure that your liver is functioning correctly you have to make sure that your your liver is able to metabolize the excess hormones and then you have to make sure that your body's able to poop them out so your all your your dark leafy greens all your purple veg for your antioxidant content so your beetroots your red cabbage your your blueberries blackberries all those dark colors contain what's known as polyphenols and they they're prebiotics so they're really good for the gut but they also contain um oligomeric paranthocyanidins which is a really potent antioxidant so incorporating them in into your snacks and even the likes of like uh, a raw grated beetroot and carrot slaw really good for stripping excess by cholesterol out of the system and yeah then just all, all, all the all the single ingredient food that you can really it's like if you can draw the ingredients you're onto a winner if you're reading ingredients and you can't draw it maybe pull back on it uh, that's a pretty good tip to be fair mm. yeah, there's fi- when you, no sorry go on no so you go ahead no it's just when you're when you're looking at the ingredients on things and they're these massive long words and you haven't a clue what they are like if you don't know what that is maybe you shouldn't be putting it into your body that's so true. How, what about vitamin D? Because um, vitamin D is probably a big one that I try to get. A lot of people I talk to, because mm-hmm. vitamin D, especially in Ireland, probably don't get enough sun. It's actually a funny fact for you. In Halkler Gurunan a few uh, months ago, in New Zealand, you have the north and south Ireland. But in the mm-hmm. south Ireland, the sun is actually tilted differently. So mm-hmm. people in the south Ireland can't actually absorb the sun nearly as well as people in North Ireland. So she has all mm-hmm. her clients on vitamin D supplements in, this, in the North Ireland, so on, because they can't absorb the sun. Mm. And it's actually quite similar in Ireland as well, between the months of, um, so from April to October, that's when we're able to get our vitamin D from the sun. Outside of that, it's actually very hard for us to get vitamin D from the sun. So in the winter months, I am always recommending for people to take vitamin D because vi- vitamin D is, is like a hormone mm. uh, and we, we need it. Um, uh, and then making sure that you are having enough uh, vitamin C and iron as well for the absorption of vitamin D. So what would be the main supplements you would say for people in Ireland that are even and are even supplement, yeah, supplements that you'd recommend? Yeah, so like supplements, are, they're a supplement. They're there to, to help. They're not going to... Like really, we need to be looking at our food. It's our food where we get our vitamins and minerals from. But in saying that, because a lot of people looking at gut health, if you're not absorbing your nutrients, your your if your gut isn't on point, you're not going to be getting the vitamins and minerals from your food. So first protocol is to always look at the gut. So look at the likes of a probiotic, be it a good quality probiotic, the likes of Udo's um, Udo Superates, or else the Nature's Way. Um, the GI complex, that's a good one. Our BioCare GI complex is quite a good one too. And then the likes of digestive enzymes. If you're not absorbing your nutrients, you possibly don't have enough digestive enzyme, natural digestive enzymes being secreted. So again, a good quality one like the Udo's, that's, I've no affiliation with them. It's just, I use, they're the only ones that mm-hmm. I use. Um, when it comes to probiotics as well, though, I wouldn't be on them long-term. I, long-term, I wouldn't be on any supplement long-term. I would cycle them on and off. 
uh, very much uh, six weeks on, three weeks off, six weeks on, three weeks off, and then getting everything from your food. So then your probiotic foods, the likes of all your fermented foods, your sauerkraut, your kimchi, um, your kefir, your kombucha, and kombucha in very small doses because it is very high in sugar. It may, mm. like if you're getting a good organic one, it's, yes, it's organic, but it's still quite high in sugar. So you do need to be mindful of that too. Um, so yeah, looking then at your probiotic foods, then other supplements that for women, specifically women who are on the pill, I would always say uh, you need to be on um, a good probiotic, a good methylated B complex and a good essential fatty acid because the pill can inhibit the absorption of specifically your B vitamins. But as well with the pill, one of the side effects is mood disorders. You need to be nourishing your brain with your healthy fats. So interesting. Mm. And I was just going to come back to that point of Cough, coffee, coffee. What is, because mm-hmm. there is some stigma sometimes around coffee on, again, certain parts of the cycle and, and especially mm-hmm. PMS. What is yeah. the effects of caffeine in the body? Yeah, so caffeine uh, for women, especially women with uh, conditions like endometriosis, any excess estrogen, estrogenic conditions, really you shouldn't be having any more than 30 milligrams of caffeine a day because it is having the, that, it's that cortisol spike that you're going to be getting mm. from the coffee that that's having the knock-on effect then on your estrogen causing that excess estrogen throughout the system now it's not that that's the cause but it's it's not helping the process either so predominantly for women who have endometriosis any of my clients who have endometriosis uh, and that they're trying to conceive first thing that you have to do is you have to cut out coffee um and i, I hate saying it because i love coffee myself <laughs> and um but I used to be a devil for it. I used to have six cups of coffee a day. Jeepers. Um, yeah, I was very bad for it. So now I have one. I have one very weak cup of coffee. And then the rest of the day, I will drink chicory root. So chicory root is, it's a root. Um, it's also a really good prebiotic. So it's a coffee substitute. It tastes very, very similar to coffee. You oh, just, yeah. you're not getting the, the hit from it. You're not getting that caffeine hit. So getting a good organic chicory root. Um, as your coffee substitute i drink i go through probably i probably drink too much of it because, because even too much of a good thing is a bad thing you know everything in moderation but i just i do love the taste I, i'm bu- a coffee a coffee addict <laughs> can you buy that in the shop you can or where do you buy it yeah yeah so in ireland um in any of the health food shops you, you'd get your chicory root your organic chicory root um i can't think of the name of the company that i get uh I can see it, but I can't think of the name of the company. Sorry. <laughs> Guess the and one big question I just want to ask is when it comes to the pill, because this is something that fascinates me. And as much study as I do online, I can't really find much about it. But just say you have you've all these different kind of pills, but just say you have someone who's on the pill, and some females, you know, they might get um, an artificial bleed. Some mightn't get a bleed. Some might get a spot, and then you have others that aren't on the pill whatsoever. What's mm-hmm. the difference in them game girls like training and dieting each week and like if it's on the pills and, and not on the pills so the ones that do get a bleed and and then only get spotting what's the difference in the hormones around? yes so what what's happening there is you have yeah you, ha- you either have your period or else you have a pill bleed so you you're only having a period if you're not on the pill you're only having a period if you have your natural cycle yeah Anything else is what's known as a 
uh, a breakthrough bleed. Um, so what's happening with the pill, again, there are different pills. Some pills, you'll take them for 21 days, then take a seven-day break. Uh, that's the majority of your combination pill. Then there's other pills that you just you take straight through. You just keep taking it, and you're not getting that that breakthrough bleed. And the for women who are training and eating wise and everything, you're not having your natural cycle. Once you are on the pill, you're stopping the natural ovulatory cycle, and that's what our, our, your menstruation cycles are. It's an ovulatory cycle. Once you're switching off ovulation, it's everything else is kind of null and void you're being given these synthetic hormones consistently throughout the month when you for the women who are on the combination pill when they take that seven day break it's the withdrawal of those synthetic hormones that are causing the the lining of the wound to shed but it it's not an actual period and going back to the phases you're not having your phases when you're on the pill so you're not having your menstruation follicular ovulation luteal phase what's actually happening is that you are the pill stops ovulation so you're put into a chronic luteal phase so that's the last phase of your cycle and when you're in that chronic luteal phase that's it can be harder to gain muscle it can be harder to gain or to lose weight uh it can be harder to tone up all depending again on the person but it's once ovulation has been stopped, it's you're kind of you're not having a natural cycle. So if you were in that aspect, would you if you had if you were more higher in estrogen or progesterone, what's the what would be the best one to be higher in? Neither the the best way is to be balanced. Sorry, no. Yeah. Good, <laughs> good that good question. Good answer. Yeah, um, it's really what we want is to have balanced hormones with your estrogen and progesterone when your estrogen and progesterone are balanced out, you're not going to be having the PMS symptoms. You're not going to be having the low mood. You're not going to be having the, the overall cravings, those pre-period cravings. Like there's a lot of women who, when they're right before their periods, they're craving either, go one of two ways, either they're craving chocolate and they just have to have chocolate. The reason for that is the magnesium. Your body is about to, your body's creating what's known as prostaglandins prostaglandins are their hormone like compound which are secreted from the brain to to shed the lining of the womb and so your body's going to be craving craving magnesium to help with cramps so it's when you're craving chocolate have magnesium have a bit of chocolate too but mm. make sure that you have your magnesium supplement there and then if for other women some women will have an insatiable hunger where nothing is actually covering it you could be eating a bar of chocolate, you could be eating a bowl of vegetables, you could be eating anything, but you can't fill the hunger. That's a sign of a zinc deficiency. So for any woman who has that, I'm always saying, maybe look at taking a zinc supplement just for a month and see how you go. Oh yeah, because generally, generally speaking, your BMR does go up about 300, well, about 1-300 calories, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. On that yeah. second part of your cycle. And suppose that leads me to them where I was on, but before is probably biggest thing that i'm learning now some studying is like um women that like post-pregnancy and and suppose when i look at breastfeeding that's probably a huge topic that the more i go down the rabbit hole like the more you just learn and learn but it's something that's not spoke about nearly not enough either it's 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 baffled me like that 
in his first cycle now is like breastfeeding, such a natural thing, like, and there's not enough information about it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or like breastfeeding is the most natural thing in the world. Like going back to the dawn of man, it's like how hmm. how did man survive? Breast milk. And yes. there's what a lot of women don't realize is that like you need the extra calories when you're breastfeeding and breast milk is one of the fattiest um, compounds that there is. Like it, it, breast milk has to contain a lot of fat for cognitive development, for brain development in, in, in newborns and toddlers. Um, so like who, like the World Health Organization actually recommend that you breastfeed up as far as 18 months to make sure that babies are getting that fat. Um, when it comes to breastfeeding, it's, you, yeah, you need to be make, making sure that you are still taking your prenatal vitamins. Like, this is going to sound terrible. I love babies. I love kids. I do. Uh, I, I love helping women with fertility. But when you think of from the minute of conception up until the minute you stop breastfeeding, a baby is a leech. It's just sucking all the nutrients out of you. It's yes. taking everything away from you. So you need to be supplemented in times like this. So during pregnancy and post-pregnancy, you have to make sure that you're still taking your prenatal vitamins to make sure that you're getting the nutrients. Another thing, like when it comes to because when it comes to breastfeeding, because the baby is is taking a lot of nutrients, what we're seeing is that there can be higher rates of postnatal depression in women who aren't actually having enough fats. Um, studies are shown that postnatal depression is, is actually linked with the deficiency in DHA, which is an essential fatty acid. So we need to be making sure that you, you are getting enough DHA and EPA. Um, but then as well, looking at your food sources, don't be having the no fat, non-fat, make sure that you are eating your healthy fats specifically while breastfeeding. So much does the baby actually absorb in? So much, so just how much nutrients does is given away from the mother to the baby? Is there any? Well, a lot because when you think about um, when you're looking at a newborn from zero months to five, four to six months, all they're getting is breast milk. That's if they're being breastfed. They're they're literally growing and surviving purely from breast milk so they're taking a hell of a lot of nutrients from you so you do need to be making sure that your calories are up somewhere between 250 to 400 calories extra a day mm. not mm, to be, again all depending on the person depending on yeah. the woman depending on the quality of food i'm not saying to be having an extra 250 calories of of chips or crisps. I'm saying have an extra 250 calories of healthy foods. Look and really at what the uh, well, kind of rule of thumb is: an apple and uh, a large spoon of peanut butter, um, and, and that will that will hit your mark so well. So it's not that you have to have loads of food, but just good quality food, nutrient dense food. Do you know? Yeah, just clean feeling. That's not enough of yeah. that. There's even even Australia here, like there's a lot of processed foods, a lot of these, just a lot, a lot of so much processed. Uber eats about like just a lot of processed stuff. It's mm-hmm. kind of it's very hard. It's very hard to get like fresh produce now. Really hard to get. Like it's mm-hmm. it seems to be getting scarcity. Like it seems like the supermarket locally here, like they just you know the the vegetable stand gets smaller and smaller. And not sure what it's like back at home, but definitely seems that like fresh veg vegetables seems to be getting a little bit shorter. Hard to come by. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, as 
especially for you now at the moment, because the, the lockdown in Australia is, is quite large, uh, not quite large, it's quite strict. So I'm not sure what sort of produce is even allowed into the country. Um, but for us here, for, for a little while, there, there was a little shortage of stuff because of Brexit and everything. But that's the thing when you're looking at the supermarkets, a lot of our produce, it's not actually local. It, it's been shipped in. Um, so if you can buy local, I'm always like, try and go to a farmer's market, get as much local veg as you possibly can because you know what you're getting then and it, it's not being shipped and it's not going through the packaging process either. And organic, um, um, that's probably big. Your big as well. It's just big for me as if the more yeah. I get older, it's like organic. Just it just tastes better, and it's just better to have the organic stuff in inside, isn't it? Oh yeah, massively. So and it's like, like I was on Coleman Powers podcast mm. a couple of weeks ago, and he he's like, it, it's not what's, it's not what's in organic. It's what's not in organic. Yes. So looking at the mic. The, like the macros and the micros yes the macros are, are the same be it organic or non-organic but the micros are completely different um so it's organic your food isn't sprayed with um harsh chemicals which are having a, a knock-on effect on our own bodies our own health and wellness so yeah it's, it's not what i'm quoting him now it's not what it's what oh i'm getting tongue-tied <laughs> it's what's not in the organic is what matters it's so true. Like you, you, you can even see the difference. Like in eggs, like if you get like free range eggs, you get just say caged eggs. There's just a difference in. Mm. Oh just, yeah, look at the color of the yolk. Oh, it's just so it's so crazy, isn't it? But I guess everyone nowadays just wants to quick fix and wants to. And the cheap. It is, and so like to be fair, like I got, I actually put in my store. Yes, I got um some fish, and so I got some zucchini and some um some rockets, and it worked out like a ten dollars for like mm. so so sometimes. It's, it can be cheap to eat pretty clean if you choose your head mm-hmm. like a bit right like zucchini is quite good you can fry it up you know and yeah. rockets and fish mm. yeah but that's it it's educating yourself really on right what getting more bang for your buck you know going finding the places where you can buy organic where it's cheap but buying organic that you can do like a big meal prep for the week you know you can get your four or five meals main meals out of it and, and that cuts down on cost as well. Like when you bulk prep, when you bulk buy, you're automatically cutting out the cost. Um, like I remember, like I could, I could do a food prep for a full week on 50 euro and that would be my lunch and dinner. And then like my breakfast would be separate, but like good lunch, dinners and snacks for 50 quid a week on predominantly organic. That's you know, it is pretty good. It's just a matter of sitting down and actually doing up a plan, doing up a shopping list of, right, well, what I would usually say to people is do up a recipe. Do up a recipe guide or a menu for yourself for the week. Figure out what meals you're going to have, then write down the ingredients of what you need. And then for a lot of meals, you can just, you can um, use a lot of the same ingredients. So you're, you're cutting down on overbuying and bulk buying, and then you're also cutting down on waste and, and you're just, you're reducing the cost. So give yourself a meal plan, give yourself a recipe plan, and then, do your shopping list, go get it done, and then you're saving money. That's so true. What is the biggest foods for you and um, that have the highest protein? If you couldn't, if you weren't getting it from, you know, red meats and stuff, what would be the biggest ones for in for protein? Um, yeah. So if you're not if you're not having meat, then fish. If you're not having fish, then eggs. Um, if you're vegan. What I would always be recommending is the likes of your quinoa, your hemp seeds, 
if you're having soy products, soy your miso and tempeh, making sure that they are organic and non-GMO. But then also the likes of yeah, your nut butters, your nuts, your nut butters, your seed butters. And yeah, they're, they're, you're, you're, they're your best range really of your to complete proteins. And then it's a matter of comb- combining other foods together to create complete proteins. So the likes of your rice and pea together and things like that. All the good stuff. And I guess yeah. then I was going to ask you then about, so when you're helping females, obviously you're, you're, I think you're kind of very similar to me the way you coach with, you know, mantras and le- like having lists and that kind of stuff, meditation. But mm-hmm. how do you generally help your female clients that come to you? So the way I work is like, people, obviously not now we're in the pandemic, there's nobody coming into the clinic. It's all over Zoom at the moment. But when I'll be sitting down with someone and like I go through a full consultation with them. So like I have to know all their past medical history. I have to go through every system of the body, what's going on. I'm going through all their hormones, um, going through a family history. I need to know genetics uh, predominantly, not predominantly, but like I, it's great if someone has had blood tests done recently before coming to me so that we can see exactly what's going on on a physiological level so we go through all that and then I go through their lifestyle as well I need to know all the foods that they're eating how they're eating their how the times that they're eating what time they're getting up what time they're going to bed and then I need to know about the what's going on in their lives emotionally like what any stressors any emotional stress in life any family issues any work issues things like that and then we're building a plan so we're building a plan, uh, like a food plan, uh, a nutritional plan, but one that's going to work with them. I feel that if I put someone on a very strict, rigid diet, it's not going to work. We need to work together to make the small changes over a long time because that's what's going to have the bigger impact. And then looking at mindfulness techniques, the likes of your morning routine, your nighttime routine, looking at self-worth stuff, looking at what it is for me, what I like to do is I, instead of asking someone to meditate or to do yoga or whatever, I ask them to do a list of the things that give them joy. Like what brings joy into your life? Uh, is that singing? Is it dancing? Is it jumping around on a trampoline? It's like, what's the thing that's going to make you laugh? What's going to bring you happiness? And then start incorporating that in because not everyone can meditate or do yoga. If anything, it may end up frustrating them and then they feel worse about themselves. So I'm like, okay, no, what brings you joy for me it's dancing i'll put on music in the morning and i'll dance around my kitchen like a little lunatic um but that's <laughs> what makes me laugh and smile and so bringing that into people's life as well and then i looking at the herbal medicine so i do um specific formulas for people so no two people get the same formula it's like it's very specific to them what their body needs and what support it is that their body needs so when you say herbal formulas in how do you make up herbal formulas? What's the process for that? Yeah, so I have a, a herbal dispensary. And so I, God, how many herbs have I got there? I have about 80, I think I have about 80 different types of tinctured. So a tincture is a herbal formula. Um, so it's your plant, which has been tinctured in alcohol for six weeks and all the, the plant chemicals have been extracted into it. Um, and then I make up a specific formula ranging anywhere from four to seven or eight herbs in one formula. Um, and again, it's, it's very much specific to what that person needs. 
So what? So this is probably going to sound like a really silly question, but so what would the herbs? So they say if you had, what would the herbs generally do for someone? Like what would they conditions would they need to have to? Yeah. So, um, and it's not a silly question at all. There's never such thing as a silly question. It's just you, you don't know the answer yes. to the questions. It's every question is a good question. Um, they, yeah. So different again. So the different herbs. So let's say. Hypothetically, I have someone coming to me for PMS uh, and if they're PMS, if they have a lot of stress and then if their digestive system isn't working properly, because a lot of the time we'll see PMS, with a lot of IBS symptoms, um, especially if someone has stress. So I'm looking at one, supporting gut health, two, supporting liver function and three, nourishing the adrenal glands and nervous system. So the likes of herbs that I would use for, say, a case study like that would be, let's say I'm going with seven herbs. My chief herb, I'm looking at balancing hormones. So I'll be going in with a hormone modulating herb, a herb, something along the lines of ladies' mantle or white exagnus castus or wild yams or black cohosh. Again, all dependent on the person. So that'd be my chief herb. Then I'm looking at the likes of the adrenal glands and stress. So I'd be given adaptogenic herbs, herbs that are going to help the body to support, um, support itself through really stressful times to help reduce that, the cortisol, help to strip out cortisol. So the likes of ashwagandha or Siberian ginseng, then nervine herbs supporting the nervous system, looking at the likes of wild oats, skullcap. Um, so I, I think of herbs in Latin. We were taught in Latin, so I'm trying to convert to the English in my head as I'm going here. So, uh, so chamomile or lemon balm, again, all dependent on the person. Then looking at liver, so we always have to make sure that the liver is functioning correctly. So then I'm going in with my liver herb, be it dandelion root, globe artichoke, or milk thistle. Now, one thing I have to say, milk thistle is a beautiful liver herb, amazing liver herb but it can stop medications from working. So you need to be mindful of that. Like all herbs, if anything that has a physiological effect on the body, it can have a positive or a negative physiological effect on the body. Milk thistle has um, an action of blocking the pathway of the liver that metabolizes drugs. So for anyone on the contraceptive pill or on any hormonal birth control, be mindful not to take milk thistle because it may stop it from working and you may end up pregnant. So just putting that out there. Um, <laughs> So yeah, so yeah, you've got your liver herb and then you've got carminative herbs for your gut health. So the likes of cardamom or fennel or yeah, there's, there's so many different herbs. But yeah, like I'd make a formula, what that person needs, what's showing up in, in their constitution, what's going to match up best. And then usually they take that for when we're looking at balancing hormones, it can take anywhere from, from four to six months. Again, depending on if there's any underlying gynecological problems, depending on if they've just come off the pill um it depending on what's going on for them and what what's the so what is the alternative of herbs then is it the medication is it yeah so a lot of women are put on the pill for their pms to balance their hormones um yeah. un unfortunately that it it's not actually the case what's happening is once you're put on the pill you're stopping the natural ovulatory cycle so and you're just getting that steady um stream of synthetic hormones put in when you come off the pill what I say to my clients is to, when you come off the pill, expect your cycles to go back how they were before you went on the pill. It's just masking it. It's not actually fixing it. It's going to revert back. And that would that be the same in for perimenopause? Because not a lot of some 
um, doctors will give the pill over HRT. Is that similar effect or not really? Um, when we're looking at perimenopause, like that is, it's the natural, it, it's, it's the natural cycle of life. Like you are going through perimenopause, yeah. there is going to be that natural decline in estrogen and, and you are going to have to go through that process at some stage. Um, again, given the pillar HRT, it's, it, it, it's masking it. Like the HRT, HR, sorry, HRT, the hormone replacement therapy, you're being given synthetic estrogen um to balance out the effects of your estrogen dipping down um it, it can have many effects on many different women as in like it can end up prolonging your menopausal symptoms because it's suppressing the natural cycle of heading into menopause um so yeah it, it is it, it depends on the person but perimenopause and menopausal symptoms they are, they can be quite debilitating for some women some women go through a hell of a time with it and others it's not so bad uh, so when i'm looking at perimenopausal women and menopausal women i'm looking at okay what foods are there that we can give you or what herbs are there that we can give you that will help with that with the decline of your estrogen just not making it so sharp just making it a little bit more gentle what would be the what was what herbs would you what would be the good herbs to give then on so, perimenopause yeah, so for menopause, the herbs that I would always be looking at would be black, black cohosh. Now, again, there's a lot of herbs that are very restrictive and can only be given on prescription. And uh, what I will say is don't anybody go self-prescribing and going out buying herbs because if you have any underlying conditions or if you're on any medication, herbs may interact with that. So always do go to a healthcare practitioner, go to a herbalist, uh, go to your health food shop to get a recommendation from someone. Um, or to get a recommendation for a herbalist but the herbs that I would be using in clinic with my clients would be the likes of black cohosh blue cohosh and uh, again wild yams vitex alchemilla or sorry ladies mantle and um, asparagus <clears throat> uh, asparagus is a really good one for um, for menopausal symptoms and then sage actually for any woman who is having the hot flushes and the night sweats drinking sage tea three times a day will really help to, to, to lower those hot flushes. Oh, I saw him, but would that help then, would that help then sometimes during PMS as well, sage or not really? If it again depends, but if yeah. you're having, if you're hot, if you're having hot flushes with your PMS, it, it may help. It's pretty, it's so fascinating, isn't it? Mm. Because herbs, definitely, you can you're seeing more herbs and stuff in the supermarkets, and it's definitely coming a bit more up. You know, people are mm-hmm. doing more herbal and stuff. What would be your for for someone like for me? Just say if I'm having trouble switching off at nighttime, what is a good herbal tea to have just to relax and have a good sleep? Yeah, so chamomile and valerian, they're kind of the two go tos. Now, if you're someone whose mind is constantly racing and you, you're you've just got thoughts running through your head. Uh, skullcap is one of the best herbs for that. So if you could get a tea that has uh, skullcap, oats, chamomile, or valerian, they're they're your four go-to kind of sleep time ones. A lot of people, there's a lot of teas, nighttime teas out there that contain lemon balm. Yeah. Now lemon balm is is a lovely nervine herb, but it's actually more uplifting. So it's li- it's lifting the spirit. So it for some people it can make them actually stay up at night. But then as well, lemon balm inhibits thyroid function so if you have 
hypothyroidism. So if you have a low functioning thyroid, you have to make sure that you're not consuming any lemon balm because it, it's going to lower your, your thyroid hormones further. If you're someone who has overactive thyroid, lemon balm will actually help with the likes of the anxiety and um, tremors and stuff. Yes, interesting stuff. Mm. You're, um, you're a bag of knowledge. Oh, I don't know about that, but <laughs> I try. Pretty good. That was like, there was a, a lot of information there. Like, that's really, it's really good. Um, that was really good. And I guess uh, before we finish, then what would be your advice for just general females um, looking with anything health and fitness? What is your go-to advice for them? Just looking, looking at your cycles and really educating yourself around them. And knowing that if you are someone who suffers really badly with PMS or really heavy periods, painful periods, so there are things that can help with your food, like reducing out as much processed sugar, processed carbs, not processed carbs, but like your refined carbs and just swapping out. Like if you give yourself a ratio of say there's seven days in the week, so a ratio of four to three, where four days you're having more vegetables and then the three days you're having your your other sources of carbs just making the little changes every week um so yeah just adding in as much veg and fruit as you possibly can um but do little changes and you will see a difference um one thing i always tell people to do is do a big do a tray bake every week do a massive tray of mixed root veggies throw them in the oven and then you can leave them in the fridge and you can just pick and build your food as you go and then that way you know that you're getting enough fiber you're getting all the colors of the rainbow, you're getting your antioxidants, you're getting your polyphenols and you will see a difference on, uh, with the likes of your PMS symptoms, even through your food alone. Amazing. And I guess then to finish off, how can people find you or what's your handles they can find on social media? Yeah. So um, on Instagram and it's Orla underscore naturopath underscore herbalist. Um, so you can get me there, send me a DM and i will get back to you as soon as i can um because i i like i work in in clinic with clients um predominantly during the week and then i'll try to get back to everyone on dms as quickly as i possibly can amazing that's um fantastic it's great to have you on thank you so much for having me on hopefully we'll chat to you again soon oh yeah fingers crossed <laughs> bye now <laughs> thanks Mel.